Well, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful uh, for the opportunity to open uh, the word of the Lord with you this morning, and uh, hopefully we can all be uh, encouraged and challenged and convicted uh, by these words of wisdom that we're going to read out of Proverbs this morning. But before we uh, jump into our text, let's, uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, your steadfast love does endure forever and ever and ever. It is only because of your love that we are here. You have uh, initiated uh, love into our lives. You have loved us. And so we are st- our affections have been stirred uh, that we might come and uh, celebrate and worship and admire your holiness, your righteousness, and your goodness, and that we might be united together as a body uh, this morning through uh, the, the power of your Holy Spirit that indwells us. Uh, so God bless uh, this time as we study uh, your word. This is the only way by which we can know uh, who you are and who we are in response to that. So God, let your words be on the forefront, not my own, and let us all uh, be made more like Christ this morning. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, so you may have missed it this week, but there was some pretty, I saw a pretty catching, eye-catching headline. Uh, the Surgeon General, the, the highest-ranking medical office in the United States, the Surgeon General, has said that we are in another epidemic that there is another pandemic uh, in America. There was an advisory put out. It was an 80-page report uh, called Our Epidemic of Isolation and Loneliness. And I think that none of us would be surprised to know that our culture is feeling increasingly lonely and increasingly isolated. That report is full of statistics about how we have fewer friends that we can rely on than we have in in previous years. Uh, We trust uh, other people less than we have uh, in previous years. Uh, For brevity, I'll just tell you, I'm not going to rattle off all the stats, but for brevity, it doesn't look good. It does not look uh, like a good social functioning society. But there was this one line in the report that I, I fixated on. I loved, I loved this line because it rang so true. Here's what the Surgeon General uh, wrote. He said, we know that loneliness is a common feeling that many people experience. It's like hunger or thirst. It's a feeling that the body sends us when something we need for survival is missing. And I was like, that is so true. That's exactly right. And our theology backs this up. Like, we worship and celebrate a God who is, uh, exists eternally as Trinity. He is eternally a community. And he made uh, Adam, and before he said everything is good, very good, very good, very good. And then he made Adam, and he said, this is not good. Something is not good. Until he made Eve, and the first human community was born. And so we are made... God has created us intentionally to image him in this way, that we are made for community. But it's not just our theology that tells us that this report is true. Our experience attests to the truth that we need community. Because everyone in here, I think, has felt the pangs of loneliness. We have thirsted and hungered for connection, for community together. We've all had that thought, I'll never be able 
to make it on my own. We've walked into crowded rooms, maybe even this room that we're currently in, and we wondered if anybody even saw us. So how do we solve this epidemic of loneliness? How do we turn back the statistics and live our lives alongside one another instead of isolated from one another? Well, first off, I want to say congratulations. You've done step one. You're here. Like, you're here on a Sunday morning, and that is not something we should ignore. That it is a good thing. It is an important thing. It's a weighty thing for us to gather together and unify around the gospel as one community. So I want to commend you for that. I'm glad you're here. It is a good thing. But beyond Sunday, past Sunday morning, how do we create the kind of community that animates us, that invigorates us, the, the kind of community that's undeniably full of love and joy and peace, the, the kind of community that gives us life, that puts breath in our lungs, it doesn't drain us. Wouldn't that be a, a countercultural place to be? So what is the answer? Uh, well, because of our sermon series, uh, you may have and be able to anticipate uh, the answer, but it is wisdom. Wisdom is one of these cobblestones that leads to a path of a life-giving community. So if you remember one thing this morning, if you remember just one thing, and if someone asks you, what is the sermon about? What did you learn about on Sunday morning? This is what I want you to tell them. That walking in wisdom creates life-giving community. Walking in wisdom creates life-giving community. So we're going to be in a familiar proverb, uh, but an unfamiliar part of a familiar proverb. So if you'll open with me to Proverbs 3, Proverbs 3, we are going to read from verse 27 to the end of the proverb. Uh, the words will be on the screen. I'll start. Verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it to you when you have it with you. Do not play an evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. But the upright, per the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise... Will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. This is the word of the Lord. So this list is the kind of community that wisdom can lead us to. Solomon, here at the end of this, not Solomon that we baptized, uh, so King Solomon who wrote Proverbs. He gives us this list, right, of things to do. Well, actually, it's things to not do. It's a list of negatives. And he says, if we don't do these things and we do the opposite of them, we will build a community that everyone would want to be a part of. And so as we look closely at these nine verses, I want to just draw out three things. So I'm giving you the three things up top. First, wisdom produces generosity. Wisdom produces generosity. Wisdom produces peace. And lastly, wisdom invites blessing. Wisdom produces generosity. Wisdom produces peace. And wisdom invites Blessing. I'll come back to those. You don't have to remember them. But let's start with verse 27. Wisdom produces generosity. 
So the first element that Solomon gives is this invigorating community. This life-giving community is generosity. These, these first two verses, right, they speak of ways that we should be generous to one another. Uh, one of them in a physical, tangible uh, way, material way. But the first one, verse 27, is a more uh, uh, not intangible. It's, it's about doing good for one another. Right? It says we are told, do not withhold good. Or to be said positively, it is wise to do good. And so we know, we can see right off the bat here, very easy. To, do, to be wise is to do good for one another. But you may, this is really interesting, you may have a footnote in your Bible uh, on this verse 27. And instead of saying, one way you can translate this verse, instead of do not withhold good, uh, for, what does it say? Those Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. This translation at the bottom says, do not withhold good from its owners. Do not withhold good from its owners. So that means in this new kind of community that God is building, when there is someone that you can do something good for, it's actually no longer yours to give. They already own it. Like when we can provide goodness for someone else, it actually belongs to them. It's not that we're just commanded to do good to someone. We're not just, uh, we're not just commanded to not deprive someone of good. But what this verse is actually saying is that when you see a need, when you see something good that you can do and you fail to do it, you are stealing from that person. You are stealing from that person. It's a, it's a radical, radical countercultural way to live. It's a total absence of focus on the self and a total refocus on those people out there, on the other. The wise person, the wise person looks at those who are in need and thinks, I am honor bound to do good by this person. I am honor-bound to do good by this person. If you have good that you can do for somebody, then legally, you own it, right? Legally, it may be yours, but morally, they own it. Legally, you own it, but morally, they own it. It is immoral for you to fail to do good when you see the need. Now, this isn't a total blanket statement, right? It says, uh, when it is in your power to do it. Right? There are times that we want to help, we see a need, and we cannot. And that's okay. Because we are not perfect in power, only Jesus is. Only Jesus can perfectly provide for the needs of all of his people. But in a life-giving, a life-building uh, life and invigorating community, people are always quick to help as much as they can. When it is in our power to help, when we have what it takes to help, godly wisdom says, give it away. Give away your ability to help. Don't keep it for yourself. And literally, in verse 28, it's talking about if you have something that someone else needs, go give it to them. Don't, don't delay. Don't wait for the right time. Don't be like, well, i got to do this thing first. It's like, go give it to them right then and there. And it's not, this is not motivated just by, well, it's the right thing to do or simple morality or, or re religiosity. But, no, we provide and share generously and do good by one another as an imitation of Jesus' perfect provision and service for us. Uh, if you flip uh, a couple of, uh, flip a book over in Psalm 84, it teaches us that no good thing, this is, this is such a good verse, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is not withholding any good thing from you. Therefore, we should not withhold any good from one another. So we, we don't just, think, think about it this way, we don't just sin against one another when we do harm. But according to this verse, we sin against one another when we withhold good, true, and beautiful things for ourselves. When we've experienced radical acceptance in Christ, and then we refuse to accept others into our midst, that is sin. When we have experienced the encouragement, the supernatural encouragement of the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of us, but we refuse to encourage others, that is sin. When we accept the forgiveness that God has given to us through the work of Jesus on the cross, but we refuse to extend forgiveness to others, that is sin. When we withhold true, good, beautiful things from one another, we're, com we're contributing to a community that drags and drains people. But when we extend all that we have, all that we are, all that we can give with open palms to one another, then a community of life is starting to build. Um, many, many of us, I think, take the Hippocratic Oath version of gospel community. Uh, we we want to live according to the Hippocratic Oath, which is this famous thousand-year-old oath that was given to medical practitioners, doctors, and they still take it today. And the, the first clause is do no harm. And I think a lot of us, when we come to church or we come to serve in church or we uh, go to our D group or whatever, we're just like, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to, I'm going to do no harm. But that's not, Proverbs 3 teaches us it's not enough to do no harm. We must always seek to contribute good. It's not enough to do no harm. We must always seek to contribute good. Ray Orland, one of my favorite pastors down in Nashville, he sums it up like this. We cannot do everything, but we can do something for his sake. If we have the ability, they have the ownership. And we owe it today, not tomorrow. So we live generously according to godly wisdom. We live uh, out of ourselves. We give everything that we can. But we also see in verse 29 through 31 that we live according. Wisdom produces peace. Solomon starts out, he says, Don't plan against your neighbor who lives trustingly beside you. Don't plan evil against your neighbor who lives trustingly beside you. And he points that out, that they live trustingly beside you, because trust is the basis of a life-giving community. Marriages without trust cannot be healthy. Children that cannot trust their parents, the children will not be honest. Pa children, or kids, when your parents cannot trust you, they limit your opportunities. They limit your abilities. Trust is foundational to our healthy, honest, life-giving relationships. So we cannot do anything that would breach the trust of our neighbors. Right? I'm not talking about the people that live beside us. Right? The Good Samaritan teaches that all that we see, all the people in our midst, are our neighbors. And so that first point, everything else kind of cascades from that truth. Right? The, you know, we learn to live and seek peace with one another, and we never break their trust. But I think that to be truly obedient to this verse, we have to be ready to assume the best about everyone in our community. Right? Don't contend with a man 
for no reason, right? So do you know those kind of people who are ready to, they're ready for you to say something wrong so they can jump on it and they can, they can correct you and they can show how smart they are? Let me get some head nods. No, you don't know anyone like it? Yes. Or what about people who are just ready to like offer a problem at every turn but no solutions? Like they're always ready to criticize but never ready to, to help or build something else? You know people like that? Yeah, a lot of you are nodding yes because you know me, and that's fair. I understand that. I can be like that. I, I sin in that way. But being around people like that, that assume the worst, that are waiting to pounce, that are waiting to criticize, that's life-draining. That drags the joy of Christ out of someone. Right? It, just, it just depletes them. But our call from, from these verses is to create a culture of safety in a world that's ready to attack. We're to create a culture of safety in a world that's going to attack. It's, an, it's a really important thing to think about in our modern culture. Because attack is the default position of every community, every social media, every news website. Sometimes in our families, that's our default position, is to attack. And our attitude is, if you're not totally in alignment with me, then you're not in alignment with me at all. If you don't 100% believe all the things that I believe, then I'm going to cast you off. Right? We can have no relationship. One post, and you've lost a friend. One comment, and you've got to find a new Sunday school class. One word used, and your opinion is, is totally written off. Oh, you used a word that those people like to use. And you're totally written off. That attitude creates a community where safety is low and tension is high. We're all walking on eggshells to make sure that we fit into the mold, to make sure we don't say anything that's going to get us thrown out of the community. But when we understand that Jesus righteously defended us when we were undeserving, when he paid our sins, when we were still his enemy, right? We, were, we weren't just like, ignoring God. We were living contrary to God. We were his enemy, and still Jesus defended us. Still Jesus paid for our sins. So we are to imitate Jesus and defend those who may not deserve it. Honor those who may not deserve it. Live peaceably even when we disagree. So a life-giving culture is one where we can't be constantly fighting with one another. We can't be in contention. We can't be planning evil. Instead, we're unified around one thing, the gospel. And we build each other up in encouragement. And we work for peace in spite of everything else. Like, we may not agree on B, C, and D, but if the gospel is A, and we agree on that, we can have peace. But it goes further than that. The, the proverb takes us even further than that. We're not, it doesn't say, hey, just, it doesn't just say don't do those things. But it also says, don't envy those who do those things. Look at verse 31. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. Living wisely is not just rejecting the sin and the evil that is dwelling in yourself, but it is rejecting the contentious nature of the world and those around us. Now, the way things are now, people who are contentious, 
people who are violent, people who degrade, are the ones who are successful. It's just how the world works. Any headline, any social media post, anything that has to do with politics at all, we know this is true. That those who are contentious are the ones who get the headlines. And we are tempted to celebrate. We are tempted to say, that person made fun of the right person. That's fun. I like that. But we have to reject all of the ways of the contentious man, the violent man, the evil man. We have to reject the ways of those who are seeking to break communities down through mocking, through belittling, and through lying. We can't be envious of them. We can't admire those that walk in the way of the world and speak and act dishonorably towards others. The language that we see here is language of harsh condemnation. Harsh condemnation. Living in violence, living in contention is an abomination to the Lord. It turns God's stomach. So when people walk into schools and start to shoot children, when people walk into malls and start to shoot families, it is an abomination to the Lord. When parents have to look strangers in the eye and say, I'm going to protect your children with my life because of the actions of another, that is an abomination to the Lord. Soapbox over. But it's not just a negative that we see here. It's not just a negative. It says those that are upright are in his confidence. Now, that's kind of a weird phrase. In his, he's like, he's confident in us. He's, he's proud of us. Or like, we're in confidence with him. Like, we got a secret between each other. But another way that can be interpreted is we are by his side. The upright are by his side. The Lord is not standing distant and aloof in the background and just letting everything spin on without interference. He's not the divine clockmaker who sets the, the clock and then lets it go and it just ticks away and he's not influenced at all. That's not the God we serve. That's not the God we worship. No, he, our God is more like Samwise Gamgee from the Lord of the Rings, who is the friend to Frodo Baggins and follows him all the way to the fires of Mount Doom in Mordor. Even when Frodo tells Sam, I've got to go on my own. I've got to go by myself. Sam very simply responds, well, of course you are. And I'm going with you. Or at the end of the story, when, when Frodo's broken body cannot go up the mountain anymore, Sam picks him up and carries his body up to the final destination so they can destroy all of the evil in the world. We do not have to envy the power of the devious or of the violent. We don't have to even defend the right things in contention or in violence because we have been drawn near to Christ and he is defending us and he is protecting us and being close to Christ is better than being at the top of the world. Being drawn close to Christ, being in his confidence is better than being on the top of the world. So we don't have to resort to the world's way of doing things. We can live in 
peace and encouragement with one another. Building a community of peace and safety and love. Trusting that the Lord has drawn near to us and is defending us even when we don't deserve it. So living wisely produces generosity. It produces peace. But it also has one last effect. And this is probably the most important effect that we need to sit with and, and think about today. So in verse 33 through 35, this is actually kind of a, it's a summary statement of the, the entire song, or of the entire proverb, excuse me. And he says, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Towards the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. The gist of those verses is that God will bless those who walk in wisdom. And he will curse those who walk in foolishness. You get this threefold kind of pattern here, right? The wise and the foolish. The foolish will be cursed, scorned, and disgraced. The wise will be blessed, favored, and honored. So when we live according to godly wisdom, we invite blessing on our community. And I think there's kind of two ways that we can understand that truth. Like, first, there's this more general truth, right, that when we live generously, when we live peacefully with one another, like, our lives are more fulfilling, are more happy, there's less tension. That's, and that can be a blessing in and of itself. God did not just give a list of do's and don'ts. It's not just, hey, do this and because I said so. But it is a benefit to all those who obey the laws of the Lord. It is the best way to live our lives. These, this list, it's an invitation to see what life in the kingdom of God is going to look like. So anyone's life can be improved by what we've been talking about in this general sense. Our lives are more satisfying when we earnestly seek the good of others and live peaceably among them. But I also think that there's a deeper way, a more spiritual way we can understand this. And that living peaceably and, and generously are a blessing unto themselves but they are also the means by which God blesses. That means if we aren't living this way, if we're, if we're living contentiously, if we're living violently, if we're, living in, if we're planning evil against our neighbor, if we're hoarding all of our things, then we should not expect blessing from God. We should not expect him to bless our lives. Now, I want to be careful. Nowhere uh, in the proverb does it say, God's going to give you money, God's going to give you health, God's going to give you happiness, right? This is not the prosperity gospel. Hear this really clearly. Star this in your notes. Blessings are not possessions. When God blesses us, it's not through possessions. He can bless us with possessions. But when we live wisely, he's blessing us in non-material ways. He grants us wisdom. Like, we live wisely, and he's like, hey, have some more wisdom. We live with conviction. We live with boldness, gospel boldness. We live with compassion. He blesses us through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Spirit, with an increased capacity to live according to the fruit of the Spirit, right? We can be more uh, loving, faithful, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, right? All those things, gentle. We can have more self-control. He blesses us with a higher capacity to do these things. And it's not, a, it's not a transaction, right? It's not like, all right, God, I've brought you my wise living. Please give me some blessing. It's not, it's not a transaction, right? But I like to think of it like, like this. Like when you are working the ground for a garden, when you want something to grow, you have to prepare the soil 
in a certain way for there to be fruit, to grow, for the flowers to bloom, right? You have to water it. You have to put the right nutrients in it. You have to till it, right? You have to do all these things, and then you can wait, and the flowers bloom or the fruit and vegetables ripen or whatever. And so when we live peaceably, when we live generously, when we live according to godly wisdom, we are prepping the soil of our community to await God's blessing, to await a great movement of the Lord. When we walk in wisdom, the byproduct is a life-giving, invigorating, encouraging community. And we're primed for success. Not success according to the world, but success according to God. We're primed for boldness in evangelism. We're primed for conviction in our ethics. We're primed for revival. Revivals don't start because of great preaching or great music. Revival starts when we cultivate a life-giving community by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Revival comes from Christians living biblically through godly wisdom together. So we invite God's blessing on our community when we live according to his wisdom. One last thing, and then we'll get ready to close. I love the final verse of this proverb. I love this verse. It's a game changer verse. The wise will inherit honor. But fools get disgrace. How you define the terms in that verse is the most important thing about you. Everything in our life depends on who are the wise and who are the fools. Because there are people in my life and there are people in your life who know that we believe in a first century Jewish carpenter who got killed by the Roman government, rose three days later, floated up into the sky, and then one day he's coming out of the sky on a white, a white horse. And they think that's foolish. They think that's foolish. Oh, and, and if, you, you know, if, you, if you believe in him, you get to go live with him in his like floaty cloud place. Right? That's what they think we believe. And they think it's foolishness. And from the outside, it is. When you're looking at the truth of the gospel from the outside, it's foolishness. Jesus, dead, hanging on the cross, looks like a religion for failures and losers and weaklings who can't help themselves. But when you're on the inside, when you've experienced the grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus, it is the most wise thing in the world. It's the symbol of of peace, the symbol of generosity, the symbol of life-giving wisdom. Because Jesus, the logos, the very embodiment of wisdom, he generously stepped into the muck of our broken human world. He humbled himself, gave of himself, blessed those around him with no expectation of anything in return. His generosity took him to the cross where he died and he didn't utter a single word against his torturers. He was the prince of all peace, and he gave his life so that you could experience what life is really about. So how do you feel about the man hanging on the cross? How do you feel about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus? Because if you think it's foolishness, or if you think it's wisdom, that will determine the trajectory of your entire existence. It reveals who you are at your deepest core. We may not live in perfect community. We may not have perfect peace. We may not be perfectly generous, but we do have a perfect king. And those who walk in wisdom will inherit his honor. And don't you want to be a part of that? Let's pray.
God, Father, you have sent us the very symbol, the very manifestation of peace, of generosity, of blessing. The greatest blessing we have ever received is the sacrifice and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. So God, in response to his action, in response to his life, his ministry, his humility, God, we beg, we ask that you let us live just a little bit more like him, just a little bit more peaceful, just a little bit more humble, just a little bit more generously. God, pull us this morning in the direction of the kingdom. God, help Fellowship Baptist Church look like this wise community in Proverbs 3, where we're willing to do whatever uh, good we can do at a moment's notice for our brothers and sisters, where we can live peaceably without contention or violence amongst one another. And God, we ask that you would rain your blessing on our church, that the gospel would be proclaimed by our church, that the gospel, the kingdom would expand, that sinners would repent and come close to you through your work in our community in this church. God, it's not our work that does it. It's the work, the indwelling work of your spirit sent by your son. God, help us this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We're going to have a time of response. If you don't know of a community like the one we've been talking about and you, you want to get in on it, uh, I'll be right down here. Um, I'd love to talk to you more about, about Jesus, more about uh, obeying and repenting of your sin. And Maybe you're sitting here and there's someone that you've not been living peacefully with, or you've not been living generously with, and you need to apologize and you need to repent. I encourage you to use this time to do that. But maybe you just need to stand and worship a God who has given us a beautiful community to thrive and flourish in. I invite you to do that as well. Let's stand and sing.